Well, I want to take this minute just to say welcome to Community Church today. We have a privilege and an opportunity to interface today with an invisible world. An invisible world. You know, there's a principle, and I don't fully understand it, but it's a discovery, a scientific discovery, and it says this. It says that particles under observation act differently than when they're being perceived, when they're not being perceived. When they're being observed, they act differently, light particles. There's a principle there. I believe it has to do with the convergence of two realities. And we are Christians and we interface with a reality that is unseen. But what happens is when a people by faith begin to perceive that reality and begin to interact with that reality, that reality begins to superimpose itself on this present world. And the manifestation of that faith interaction is that our hearts say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we call upon that invisible world to become visible. That's why we're here. And those who don't see it call us fools. Those who don't see it consider all of this foolishness. What are you doing, they say? You're acting like you're interacting with something that's real, but it's not here. Exactly. Except it is here. It is here right in this moment. I was sharing in the prayer room that when I was a kid, I loved Sunday nights because we used to watch the wonderful world of Disney. And when the wonderful world of Disney came on, as soon as you heard the music, as a kid, you were excited because you knew this magical, beautiful, celestial world of Disney, this make-believe world was now coming into view. And the music was the first notification. But then you saw the, you know, the, the camera move in. You saw the castle that was representing this system, this governmental world. This, you know, castles is, speaks of a, of a kingdom, the kingdom of Disney. And we had this opportunity for one hour a week to look into another world of make-believe. But I'm telling you today, we have an opportunity to look into another world. As a Christian, you can do that any day of the week, any moment of any day. But particularly today is when we as a people begin to engage with this invisible world. And I invite you here in the room, if you're watching online, to engage with this invisible world because you, as you do, it begins to interact with you. So we say today, Lord, we anticipate. We anticipate the kingdom of heaven. We anticipate the displacement of darkness. We anticipate healing for our souls and our bodies. We anticipate revelation. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. I can tell you there's an anointing on these words right now. When we went away from these words, the, the surge abated as soon as we came back to these words. I believe there's a prophetic call here. God is wanting to move us from one dimension of life into another as we go. This is supposed to be the trajectory of our life. We're supposed to go from glory to glory. From one level of glory to a gr another level of glory, a greater level of glory. And the transition is always a transition of death. It is always, it is always laying something down that anchors us to the visible world so that we can apprehend the invisible world. Baptism. We are buried with him in baptism. Baptism is a sign. That you are laying your life down. Oh God, we give you permission today. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to search. Search our hearts. Keep singing, guys. Search our hearts. Search our hearts, Lord.
bring us into a new kind of death that we might experience a new kind of resurrection. I want to read a passage to you. Let me explain this. We're not here to be titillated or entertained by music. We are on a a schedule of advancement into the presence of God. And the imagery of the Old Testament is that you cannot, if you go in there, you die. You die. If you go in there, you die. Only the blood of Jesus ensures survival. And so there's this exchange always happening. But I want to tell you something that happened to me this morning. I was getting ready to come here, and I was in the bathroom, and Wendy was in the bedroom, and she heard me laugh. And, uh, and I came out, and I didn't know she heard me laugh. She says, what are you laughing about? I said, uh, oh, I just saw something really ironic and I, about us as the church. She said, well, what was it? She thought, it must be significant, and you laughed out loud. And I I basically shared with her this scripture. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, Jesus gave us this analogy of what it means to become a Christian. It means you lay your life down. You lay your life down. You lose everything. And then it's measured then how much you've done is measured and how much you're willing to serve and live for others. And so it says we're called to to not to not be served but to serve. And so the whole premise on which this thing is based is that I've come here to lay my life down. I've come here to lay down all my expectations. I've come here not to be served, but to serve. But then I suddenly saw the average mentality of the Christian who comes to a church, and we continuously evaluate that church on how it meets our needs. Every... All of our willingness to get near to people, to connect with people, to come to a church or not come to church, is all, it all revolves around whether that church meets our needs. And yet the premise for this thing is that you lose your life. But, but the basis on we actually live is who is going to enable me to live in the most secure possible way so that my life is never threatened. And the Holy Spirit is putting His finger on this contradiction in our life. And he's saying to you, I I am going to find a people who are willing to embrace the grave and I will resurrect them in power. Unimaginable power. Unimaginable anointing. I am looking for a generation that will truly embrace the gospel and the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Will you pick up your cross? And we're seeking God against the grain of something inside of us that wants to seek itself, its own life, its own existence. And so does it need passion to cross over that threshold when most of the force at work inside you wants to maintain your life as it is. Most of the life force in you wants to stay alive and cling to its life. It's going to take an effort to cross that threshold. And so, pardon me, if I'm asking us as a church and as a people to to seek God with all of our strength, to seek to love Him with all of our soul, to seek to love Him with all of our might, Oh, God, we want to cross the threshold where we call out to you with all of our heart, where we seek you with all of our heart. Oh, God, release a capacity and a grace in the midst of a people who seek your face. Oh, God. You know, I have to continuously remind us of this reality that when Jesus turned over the tables in the temple, it was with this statement. He said, my, my father's house will be 
about this. It'll be a house of prayer. And a significant part of prayer is the whole idea of seeking. We're not at a restaurant here. We're not at a movie theater. What's happening on the stage is not a performance, and it's not here for us to evaluate, simply get the benefit from. It is the leading edge of what we as a congregation are doing. That's the difference between religion and faith. Father, I pray, God, that we could be a people that pine for you. That self-satisfaction, ease, complacency can never grab hold of our lives because we, like the moth drawn to the flame, for the peril of our own soulish lives, meager existence, Lord, we are drawn closer and closer and closer to an eternal light of and an eternal flame that is our life. And our, our passion is that that fire would spread to every quadrant of our being and consume us day and night. There's a place in your life where drawing near to God does not require hurdles, but it's the easiest thing you can set your mind to because it doesn't require pulling away from all the competing loves. It becomes the most natural thing Oh God, we long for this kind of faith where we are preoccupied with heaven, preoccupied with the lines of thought that fall to us from heavenly places. Lord, let the unfolding blueprint of the kingdom of heaven impose itself on every part of our life come on desire this desire this desire this there was a time in the life of Jesus when as he was discipling people and we know the concentric circles of intimacy that were around Jesus. There was John. Then there was the three, James and Peter and John. Then there was the twelve. Then there was others that traveled with him, including some women and varieties of people. Then there's 120. And then there's just concentric circles. But when the others that were not Jesus began to minister and speak the greatest proof of their validity, of their authority and the reflection of what they had was they perceived that these had been with Jesus the world is waiting for a people to come out of the buildings that is church with the evidence upon their lives that they have been with Jesus. It's not an act. It's not simply a, the words we memorize that are scriptural. It's a divine essence that flows from the lives of those who have been with him. 
Lord. Father, may we be among those who will change the world like the first generation changed the world. This is our prayer. Come on, let's try and stay with this for a few more minutes. The beauty of Jesus is running like a, a current through this building. Mighty streams of heaven. Mighty streams of a kingdom. Come on, as we're singing this, I want you to see the name of Jesus over every structure, over every governmental authority, over every nation, every people. I want you to see the end of this thing. When we're saying Jesus, we are worshiping Him, but we are declaring the end from the beginning. He will be exalted above every name, above every name. We see the imposition of the kingdom of heaven, the annihilation of the kingdom of darkness. And we say, All things are under his feet. Jesus. Jesus. Now this is a prophetic act. I want you to think of the things in your life that steal dominion away from Jesus. And I want you to speak to them. I want you to see them as physical structures. And I want you to speak Jesus. And I want you to see those things come under. If it's fear, if it's worry, if it's finances, if it's jealousy, if it's a lack, intimidation, people, we say Jesus. We say to the sin that has our loved ones In bondage, we say, Jesus! Jesus! Say it with me. Say it with me. Jesus! We declare Jesus. We declare Jesus over Spruce Grove. We say, Jesus! The name Above every name, Jesus. 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 We say Jesus. Can you say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Jesus, we exalt you. So our our journey here as a church is to improve our staying power. Now, many of us here in the room have been a part of events called gatherings. And I just ran across one of the videos the other day of an event in Israel. About 3,500 people 
probably about 2,000 Chinese total, a lot of them from China, mainland China. And uh, we went into movements in worship, movements where there was no text, so to speak, where the people did not disengage, where the whole room didn't flutter off, wasn't thinking about dinner or anything else. They were fully engaged with the stream of heaven and earth flowing together without one word to sing, without feeling bored, without being pulled back to an earthly realm. And something sat upon the power of that worship that was heavenly. But it was made possible by faith expressed in worship, which didn't disengage once our flesh was satisfied. That's where we're going. And the question is, what can God set upon our worship? Worship, it's like a, a piece of furniture. You, you set something upon it. God has unspeakable glory. He dwells in unapproachable light. And he's looking for containers on which he can rest that glory. You are a container. Our collective worship is a container. As that augments in power and intensity and glory, the kingdom of God advances. And that's the blueprint of an advancing dominion. And it begins with us as individuals. Father, we pray today, increase our capacity for worship. God, and redefine, Father, we say redefine our worship away from sentimental, ceremonial, liturgical routines and onto that invisible engagement. Can you feel that song? There's a song of the Spirit here. We could go into that. Can we go into that? Can we? Come on, receive as you ascend. These are moments of transformation. When joy occupies a place in you, it never has. When gladness takes over a place in your life where there has been sorrow and pain and disappointment. Oh, Let the people be glad. Let the oil of joy enter into the place of bitterness and pain. Oil of joy. Forgive. Forgive and release. Let the chains fall to the ground.
There's no limits. You know, last week I mentioned about how, I think it was last week, the king of Israel who was dying. No, actually, Elisha was dying, and the king went to see him. Josiah, I think his name is. And Elisha gave him a prophetic word and said, Listen, take the arrow, strike the ground. Um, this is the arrow of God's deliverance. And he struck the ground, but he missed something. He missed the prophetic flow. He thought this was ceremony. He didn't see that there was a connection, that the strike was releasing something. He, he was dead in his intuitive sense that this was actually real. Many people in church today, that's how they do church. It's a ceremony. It's liturgy. It's, a, it's what we do to remember the past and hope for the future. But there's actually nothing happening in the present that they're connecting with. That's the difference between church and church. That's the difference between governmental ecclesia and sentimentality. Our worship, we're, we're connecting with a divine flow. And if you haven't connected with that divine flow, make it the goal of your whole life to do that. Because that's the essence of what this is about. Uh, Resurrection life flowing through you. And we're not doing things because it's in the Bible. We're not doing things because it was done last week. And we're not doing this because the pastor said to do it. We're doing it because we're connecting with a flow and we're being led by the Spirit and we're manifesting our sonship and our right to rule and reign as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The kingdom is ours and we shall inherit the earth. And this is our proof. Royalty flows through our lives because of nothing we deserve. (sighs) Come on. Royalty flows through your life. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are born from on high. Eternity is written in your hearts. Yeah, amen. Let's celebrate that. Clap your hands. Yes, Lord. Praise God, eh? (laughs) Where do you go from there? (laughs) Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your delivering power. Oh, Lord, thank you for your delivering force in our lives. God, we celebrate the victory of Jesus. And we say, Father, increase our capacity to know what it is you have already done through your Spirit. Increase our understanding 
of the immense reserve that is untapped inside of us. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, I've got a little message. I've got apparently 13 minutes. And uh, it's amazing, though, what you can put into 13 minutes. And... uh, If you didn't hear that online, it wasn't worth hearing. <laughs> Can you feel the joy in the room? It's not here by accident. It's here as an outcome of an ascension where you have experienced the gladness of the Lord because you've entered into something. And, uh, and I'm not up here telling jokes. That wasn't really that funny. <laughs> yeah. It's an amazing thing how the anointing can make things a lot more beautiful, a lot more funny, a lot more clever than they actually are. <laughs> you know, it says, uh, in the psalm it says, Holiness becometh thy house. That might have been in the King James. But what it means is this, that holiness is a commodity that beautifies everything it's on. And when holiness is on uh, you, your home, your, your shell, you look more beautiful. Ladies, you want to be more attractive to the guys? Holiness. I'm telling you. Holiness makes beautiful God's house and everything else that exudes the holiness of God, it's more attractive. See, I'm not that good looking, but... <laughs> Says the guy who's not married and has no prospects. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Okay, no, I really do have something to say. Wow. But before I get to that, here's something else. Why do we do what we do? Why, why, are we, why do we spend so much time worshiping? Why is worship essential? Why is us drawing near to God essential? Everything, all of your ability to influence the world is predicated and built on and leveraged by this. You, 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 you leverage the change that comes by drawing near to him. That's how you impact the world, is something changes as you draw near to him. And, uh, and so what we're learning is to draw near to him and then to live in sync with him. In fact, your whole sonship, your, your adoption into the family of God is evidenced by the fact that you are led by the Spirit of God, which, to, which means, he says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. As many as are led. So if you're led by the Spirit of God, that, that's, oh, that person is led by the Spirit. I see the Spirit of God. They, they always seem to be ahead of the curve. They always seem to be on that person. What is that about, what is that? That's sonship. They've come into sonship. Others may be equally a son, but not equally able to exhibit the characteristics of sonship. Hello? And the advance of the kingdom of God is in your ability to exhibit, your ability to manifest sonship, your ability to manifest that intimacy that you have with God. And so, uh, and so that's what we're aiming for. That's why we preach. The reason we preach is so that you will receive the engrafted word of God which is able to save, which save means not just, in, not just preserve, but change, transform, mold your, your inner man, right? your soul, save your soul. You're changing the way you think, changing the way you feel, changing the things that connect with your imagination. The word of God and why we preach is not for entertainment, it's not to give you new ideas, it is to speak to something beyond your mindset, 
to speak to something beyond your emotional climate, to change the very essence of who you are in the nature of your being so that you can exhibit sonship. Amen? So that's, that's what we're doing. But uh, there's a Psalm 127. It says this. It says, uh, it says uh, oh, I, I just realized I've, I put in, you know, the, the non-biblical headings. There are two of them. You don't want to know what they are. But I was distracted by that. You know, OCD? ADD? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Whenever you see the influence of the church historically recede, whether it's in the dark ages or whether it's uh, 300 years after the resurrection of Jesus, whenever you see a waning, whenever you see a lull, whenever you see the authority of a of that kingdom expression being reduced in the earth, you know one thing. You know that the Lord is not connecting with that advancement. You know, you can have a political expression that is the church advance in a particular time, but it doesn't have the power to create dominion unless the Lord is in it. And that's, you know... Uh, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. So when we are building the church, we're not just trying to attract people here. We're not trying to, you know, do some club, some club med or vacation thing. Or, hey, come here. We got the best music. We got the best preaching and the shortest services. For three months, we're offering a 7% tithe. Right? Only only good for new members. <laughs> I mean, that's not what we're doing. We're not here to attract people. We're here to find ourselves in sync with the God of heaven. We're here to not engage in doing something that makes us look good. We are pining towards what will make him look good, what pleases him. Because unless the Lord builds this house, they labor in vain. And so, well, how do you know which things are which? Well, there you go. That's the question. And opinions vary. But unless the the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. You know what you're seeing right now in the United States and the Western Hemisphere? I mean, it used to be that we'd look at world events and we, we'd look at terrorist attacks here and there and all that kind of thing. You'd, you'd see uh, uh, stuff in, I mean, you could, you could name the atrocities of the last 50 years and, and you could say, wow, you know, I'm so glad that our military is so capable. I'm so glad that our Canadian intelligence service is so capable because it's keeping out all the crime. It's keeping out all the decay. It's keeping out, you know, the U.S. government, amazing border services, amazing, you know, coastal, uh, what do they call them? Coast Guard, right? Amazing military. But you're starting to see inroads into the United States, right? You're starting to see vulnerabilities on so many levels, and it's because, as an entity, the faith level of the United States is diminishing, and so whereby they have been a bastion of good things and possibilities, and whereas they have been seemingly immune from certain kinds of terrorist attacks and and inroads, you're starting to see Uh, Even amongst the population, a class of person that never used to be able to make it into the United States, somehow not only flourishing in the U.S., but you're seeing pockets of philosophical thoughts that are not conducive to life and godliness prospering in the United States. You're seeing something. Why? Because the one who guarded 
the house is not guarding it on the same way before as he was before. The powers of God, the, the angels of heaven, the dimension of the glory of God is engaged by a people who are committed to walk in sync with God. And as that number decreases in any, any given population, that commodity of God's, whether it's building or guarding or loving or nurturing or creating an atmosphere of inclusion and safety, all those things dissipate. So what does it take to get it back? It takes you. It takes you and you. It takes a people who align with God. You know, when Joshua was entering the promised land, and of course he's there, he's, he's going in, and he's been given this assignment, and, and of course he's been given, it to, given, given this assignment by Moses, his predecessor, right? Moses is gone, now Joshua's the boss. Joshua has gone in, but, you know, he, he doesn't understand some of the things that Moses understood. Moses understood he was the most humble man on the face of the earth, and he got an inside look at the administration of the kingdom of heaven, and he understood things that Joshua didn't. So Joshua's about to go in, and, you know, he's, he's collecting, and he's, uh, he's collecting all of his resources and all of his generals and everything. They're going to go into this thing, and, and, and he's got in mind his conquests, his skills, his abilities, his knowledge as a general, and he's going to go in and do this, and God is thinking, I don't think he really understands I'm not, he's not doing this. He's facilitating me doing this. And he doesn't understand that this is not him. This is me moving through him and on him. And so he appears to, to Joshua. He says, a man appears having a sword. And he says, and, and Joshua looks at him. He says, are, are you with us or against us? And that's typically how we look at things. And the Lord says, no, but I've come as the captain of the Lord's host. And the question is not, am I with you? Is The question is, are you with me? Everything that happens in your life as a believer asks this question, how much are you with me? Oh, Lord, bless this thing I'm doing. No, no, I don't want to bless this thing you're doing. I want you to be asking me, from your heart of hearts, is this thing your heart for me? Because I want to be joined to you. I'm not always politically trying to get you to join to, my, to me. See, this is the way we do things. We get God on our side. That's what it means to be political. We've touched on this the last uh, a number of times recently. We are political animals. In the absence of the knowledge of God, in the absence of the awareness that God's agenda, one man, one woman, yoked with God's agenda, is greater than everything the world and the enemies of, of God can furnish, until we realize that, we put value in, well, you know what, there's more here with me than are with you. We have a divided issue, and I got three people on my side. You only have two. I win. And that's the way we work. And so, uh, Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name. I'm touching something even in the room. Father, I break the power. See, we're overcoming a spirit, and it's a political spirit. It's a spirit that's mindful of the opinions of men. It's a spirit that counts numbers of those who are for us and feels courageous and uh, superior based on the numbers of adherents that are in support of the cause. And that what it, that's what it means to be political. It means to have confidence in, in, in the things of, of men. Father, in Jesus' name. And so Jesus comes to visit Joshua and he says, listen, I don't care what you think you're about. The only thing that's important is you realize you're meant to be following me and not me following you. Oh God, oh God, Father, I, 
I, uh, I'm praying because there's something about this that needs to flip over in our hearts. There's something in this that we have not ascertained. It's simple. It's basic. It's what the kingdom of God has talked about him because we intellectually give a sense to it. We think we know this. But the reality is that, is that in our heart, we gain boldness when we are a part of the majority. We gain boldness when most of the people are doing things like us. That's what proves to everybody that this is the right way of doing it. And the Lord is saying, no, don't you? Have you never read about the remnant? Do you know what the remnant is? It's the small residual amount that are still with God. And what God always prophetically promises is I'm going to do this through the remnant. I'm not going to do this through the majority. I'm not going to through this through the, you know, the fact that, oh, most of the people are for this. I'm going to do this through a small number of people. I mean, isn't that the example we see in Scripture? Isn't that what we see with Gideon? How he has this great military conquest, and God says, uh, you know, he's thinking, man, I'm wondering if we have enough, uh, big enough army. And God says, yeah, it's too big. Let's whittle it down a little bit. Oh, okay, uh, let's, what, 10,000? No less. 5,000? No less. 4,000? No less. They get down to 300. Why? Why would God do that? Because I need you to understand the equation. Those that labor, uh, labor in vain unless I am in the equation. I don't need a lot of you to turn Canada. I don't need a lot of you to turn Alberta. I don't need a majority. I don't need numbers. I need a quality of alignment with me. Everything I'm about is not to increase or swell your numbers, but to swell your capacity to be in agreement with me. It's your agreement with me that makes it a done deal. And so over the years we get... We get deluded into thinking, oh, the reason this was successful was, well, you know, lots of people. Everything that, that affects the world had a small beginning, an insignificant beginning. It was a remnant beginning, uh, and a, a beginning of minutia. Now, Satan, he's always, he's always on the other side. He's always looking to get people on his side by, you know, if you come with me, I'll give you that thing you want. If you come with me, I'll give you that. And God said, yeah, if you come with me, you get nothing. In fact, if you come with me, lay everything down. Die to all your desire. Pick up your cross. Follow me. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. You must be the servant of all. Hmm. Right? Oh, but, and everybody's quick to say, yeah, but... But it doesn't matter but. It doesn't matter what you come into after. The, the basis on which you get this is denying all the things that are promised on this side. And, and here's what happens, though. We calculate. Yeah, but if I get that, if I say I'll do that, then I get this other stuff on God's side. You know, I'll get eternal kingdom, authority, seats in heaven. This would be great. And so... We say we want this, but we actually don't want it. We never put to death that thing. We never put put an end to that lack of alignment inside of us. And so we start coming to church, but alignment's not there. We start learning to do what they do at church. What do we do here? Okay, oh, we lift our hands. Okay, this is great. You do what? Speak in tongues? What's that about? Can I just pretend like I do? Can I mumble irrational syllables? Father, deliver us from incomplete alignment. Why is this important? We are at a, as a church today, we are at a critical juncture in a great escalation. And it's not based on, you think, wow, this is great, the cameras are, are good, the music's getting better, the lighting is excellent, we must be ready for a big upgrade. 
None of those things were there in the upper room. They're nice, they're handy, but fundamentally, what's going to make this thing go, what's going to make the promises that have been given to this church to be an apostolic, influential house is not how nicely we decorate the sanctuary or how talented the musicians are. It is the quality of invisible life that is in our midst. And all of that depends on actual alignment. And that's why God has always listened. You Don't draw near to me with your lips. I'm trying to get an alignment that's deeper than the surface of your life. And when I do, power will flow. Hallelujah. I, I wasn't intending to say any of this. But I need you to understand my job. I need you to understand my role here. My role is the Word of God to bring that alignment to your life. Now, you may think that my life is not as aligned as your life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In many ways, some of you can be probably a much better Christian than me. And there are lots of people that are better Christians than me. But you know the nice thing about being a son? You're not driven by fear and shame and condemnation. You, know, you don't need to measure up. You're, always, you're already measured up. And the thing about sonship is it looks like entitlement. It looks like, from the outside, like uh, arrogance. Be careful who you judge. I hear this all the time. Run into these anointed guys, and you know what I hear largely from church? Oh, he's so arrogant. I'm thinking, I don't know if you know what sonship is. I think maybe you're still operating as a slave. You're a son, but you're 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 a slave in the court of a king. Father, father, your father, your God is trying to bring you into the liberty of what it means to be a son of God. And you know, I'm going to finish with this. I wasn't meaning to talk about that, but I began thinking about it this morning. In fact, I wrote something down here. This is, has everything to do with this alignment. I wrote this down. Let's see if it makes sense. Grace is much more voluntary than the compulsive and exacting toll demanded by fear and shame. As such, strict adherence to the law will initially be much greater in slaves than it will be in sons. One of the things that happened in my life when God liberated me from a spirit of slavery is my obedience diminished. Well, that doesn't make sense. Isn't that the wrong way? Well, it is and it isn't. Because what, what I lost was all the motivations that were so tangible. Fear, shame, and condemnation are extreme, extremely tangible motivations for obedience. And they make you very careful, very explicit in doing the right thing. When sonship comes on, all of a sudden, woohoo! I am loved no matter what. You ever gone to somebody's house and you think that kid needs a good whooping? <laughs> that may be. That may be. But let me tell you, there's a short game and there's a long game. Shame and condemnation is playing the short game. Sonship is playing the long game. Identity and affirmation and love brings you into a gradual obedience that's authentic and real and genuine. Condemnation, fear, and threat diminishes that. It creates obedience in the short term, but not in the long term. 
So these things are at play in our body all the time. Sometimes we look down the aisle at somebody and we think, that person's really not as obedient as me. But maybe they're further ahead in sonship and you just don't know it. Well, let's stop judging. Let's, let's stop thinking we know where the others are in this journey. Let's just, let's bless them. Let's love them. Let's, let's imagine the possibility that they may be ahead of us in ways we don't know. Every great man of God that I know has been highly criticized by people who are lesser. There's a pattern. I'm going to keep going because I, I just feel this. The Lord is speaking to something in our church. You know, when, it, when Jesus said in the parable, he said, he said uh, listen, uh, don't judge, right, lest you be judged. He said before, if, don't try to take the, the speck out of your brother's eye. First remove the log out of your own eye. You know what I've discovered? I've discovered that the people that have a tendency to judge others tend to have a log in their eye, and they're trying to get specks out of other people's eyes. Now, why didn't Jesus put it the other way? Why didn't he say, you know, you might have a speck in your eye. Before you take the log out of their eye, take the speck out of your eye. You know, they, they got this big thing in there. You got this little thing. But take that so you can see clearly. No, he said, he said it the other way. He said, take the log out of your eye. Why, why would he say that? Because this has been my experience. It's the people with logs in their eyes that are preoccupied with specks in others' eyes. Well, how come the people with specks in their eyes aren't as concerned with people with logs in their eyes? Have you wondered why is it the people with specks in their eyes is not a, as, as uh, what do you call that uh, word for women? Busybodies. They're not busy bodies as those with logs in their eyes. I mean, shouldn't it be the other way around? Yeah, that's exactly right. See, when, when you have a speck in your eye, there once was a log. There was a log in your eye, and a process of alignment with God began to be materialized in your life, and God aligned you and aligned you and aligned you. And it made you merciful. It made you understanding. It made you forgiving. You know, if you've been through something, if you've failed, if you realize you've been guilty again and again and again and again and again and again and again, and God has forgiven you and forgiven you and forgiven you and forgiven you again and then forgiven you again... And somebody comes in and they say, I feel so terrible. I have this thing in my life. (laughs) God's bigger than that. You don't get condemnation. What's the matter with you? You call yourself a Christian. You get that from log people. Not speck people. Speck people have been where you are. And know what you need. And they trust the journey that's ahead of you. And they say, listen, this will be taken care of in in time. But the people with a log in their eye, they don't see the log. They have no clue what's there. So they're busy bodies trying to fix everybody who don't need to be fixed. Well, I don't know if I could walk with you if you're not wearing a mask. Well, I don't know if I could talk with you if you are wearing a mask. You know, busybody. Mind your own business. Live your life. Walk in mercy. Hate to use a, you know, relevant example. (laughs) Stop the superiority. I once uh, discipled a guy, and every week he had a a list of complaints about me. (laughs) I mean, it was continuous. 
you know, so every week I'm listening to some rant or another, you know, about one thing or another, you know, either the way I answered the phone and, you know, whether I was, I pressured him to finish the phone call early or I didn't greet him with sufficient enthusiasm or, you know, I mean, just it's just a litany of constant things. So one day I said to him, I said, go with me here. You're a new Christian. I've been around a while. Uh, I've invited you into my house. I've, you've eaten at my house. I've fed you. I've given you time. I'm a busy guy. I got lots of people looking for time from me. I've given you time and access to my life, to my family, to my children. And I, when's the last time I sat you down with a list of things and complaints about your life? Hmm. Don't answer. I said, don't answer. Every week, you got a list of complaints about what needs to improve your existence, what I need to do. Is this backwards? Specs and logs. Specs and logs. You see, if we if we deal with that, start aligning, aligning the quality of mercy, the quality of love, the quality of affection. See what what happens? We we cleared out a bunch of cobwebs this morning through our worship. We we cleared out a bunch of unnecessary judgments, and you know there there are swords, there are arrows, there are things hurled there, demonic spirits infusing you with jealousy, contempt, you know, criticism all kinds of different things. And these things hang in the air and they affect atmosphere. When we ascend into worship, it gets cleared out. What if we could create a culture and an environment and a family that's, that's full of mercy where we're not always having to dodge bullets? Maybe God would actually say, hmm, I could trust these people with some unsaved people. I could trust these people with authority to raise up others. We need to realize that there's a building of God that is going on, an establishing of a people and a house that's going to make for something combustible that the enemy will not be able to deal with. But it begins with what's happening in the secret ways that God is trying to align your heart, my heart. So, Father, we just want to say today, we want to align. We want to align in our worship. We want to align in our intercession. We want to align in the way we care and what we care about. We, we want to be able to impact the world, but, Lord, we don't want to just create an, an outreach identity without actually bringing you with us. We want to be able to bring you. We want to... We want to go to war with you, not for you. We're on the verge of something. Could be another 20 years. But Father, Father, we are leaning into destiny tonight, today. We say, Father, we don't know what we shall be, but we know that when we see you, each time we see you, we are changed. So, Lord, change us and let our impact on those around us be the litmus test and the proof that we've actually changed. Can you say amen? This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful in our eyes. This is the way God's working. Man. I'm so excited about this. You know, as I look around the room, and I have to say, I, I was delighted with your, your engagement today. Even though, you know, some of you, I, I can't tell. <laughs> you know, and, and that is a level of alignment that's important. Don't think it's un- unimportant. While I'm worshiping in my heart, 
good. The Bible talks about actually doing things. Dancing, praying, clapping, shouting. So uh, there's so many layers of alignment. And I accept the fact that sometimes, well, I used to shout, and now I don't anymore because I realized the shout was superficial and I was doing that for a show. Okay, fair enough. Get past that and then start shouting again. (laughs) Start clapping again. Start celebrating with joy again. But without being mindful of the people around you. That's the end goal. But I tell you what, what's on the other side of all this? Man. It'll blow your minds. Be excited. I don't know how to finish this up. <laughs> Bless you. All right, we're going we're gonna to quit for the day. Uh, thank you for being here. Love you so much. Mask or no mask. Love you. Mask or no mask. Love you. Can you say the same? All right, let's do that. Okay.